Hi everyone, welcome to Building Astropad and Matt here. And today we've got a very special guest, my co-founder and partner in all things Astropad, Giovanni. Welcome Giovanni. Hey Matt. Hello from San Francisco. It's been far too long. It's been far too long since you've been on. Yeah, I like, so, I like to be in the backstage most of the time. Yeah, some surprise appearances here and there. So today we wanted to talk about, well, it's really like two topics kind of tied into one. We wanted to talk a bit about the history of Lunar Display, how it came to be, how we got involved in hardware, mm -hmm. how a software company gets involved in building hardware at all, and kind of the messy beginnings of building new products <laughs> and what that looks like. So where do you want to begin, Giovanni? <laughs> I like things messy. Yeah. So let's start from the messiness. Let's start with the messy. Yes. What's, yes. The, what's the mess to you? I mean, you mentioned, you know, to have a podcast to talk about product design, how to come up with product ideas. And, you know, this morning and just before coming on a call, I was going on a walk and thinking about the topic. And the only thing that I could identify was just how unpredictable and messy just coming up with new product ideas or mm -hmm. in general evolution of our company too has been. Yeah, definitely. A very convoluted road. And so, yeah, it's a messy process. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and probably good for other people to hear, too, that are maybe building something for the first time. Mm. <laughs> I think it should go in a very linear, stepwise fashion. It's like, well, it doesn't really work like that. There's a lot of ups and downs. Yeah, yeah. And very different. The nature of the work, too, is very different than I think what you're used to when, you know, you're working at a company on a nine-to-five job. And, you know, there's generally a mission or, you know, you're hired for a purpose or a well-defined well mm -hmm. purpose. But maybe we should go back, you know, yeah, again, in the way we shaped up the company. And what do you remember, Matt, about those times of, you know, we were just the two of us and, and we were looking for a product idea. Yeah, going back to like Astropad, really Astropad? Nah, sure. Yeah. Like even then or, or yeah. Luna? I mean, yeah, I mean, definitely it was tossed around a lot of ideas. A lot, a lot of ideas get tossed around before we even work on anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I feel like Luna, in some ways, we had a mission that we, we were trying to solve. Like people have been asking us for a mm -hmm. product like Luna. We just, the innovation came from going into hardware. Yeah, yeah. Which actually, let me back up a bit on, on uh -huh. Luna. So to give people some background. So Astropad, because it's a software-only tool, has always been able to mirror your screen. And so you use the iPad to mirror what you had and you could draw right on top of it with Astropad. But people pretty quickly, like almost right away, were like, hey, the iPad's a great screen. Can I use this as another screen and not just mirror? And there wasn't a good way to do that. There were some software hacks, some kernel extensions and things you could do, but it was Mm -hmm. super, super unreliable. Some third parties had done better than others and like working around some of these kinks, but none of it worked very well. None of it had GPU support. It was just like a total no-go for us, especially when we were expecting to use creative apps, things like Photoshop that, well, it uses the GPU. Actually, macOS in general expects there to be a GPU. So a lot of, a lot of funky stuff happens. And so we were, we knew people were looking for this. And well, I would say the idea came from an unexpected place. What do you remember? From yeah, the yeah, yeah. You know, we knew about this problem for a while and we've been trying to solve it in so many ways, which seems to be consistent too for, for designing product where you pick up a problem, you try to solve it. No, that's not the right thing. You put it down, you, you move on to something else and you go back at it. 
Mm -hmm. I feel like we've done this over and over where we, we try to solve a problem and you know, the first few routes are dead end. Mm -hmm. Or the technology or the time's not right or the, you know, yeah, many too. things, many, mm -hmm. many things, especially hardware, you know, it's too expensive to make. could be a big thing. And for Luna, it was really like we tried to come up with software solution first because that's what mm -hmm. we knew best. And through that, we realized that just a software solution would be really unreliable. Mm -hmm. And so then the idea was what I remember is what I started wondering is how do people solve these problems on, on, in server farms? Yes, I remember this. Yep. Because in server farms, computers don't have displays. And they still would want to take advantage of acceleration on the GPU, on the graphic card. So I started looking into what servers would use for enabling video acceleration. And it turned out they, they were using a similar headless display mm -hmm. as what we end up designing with Luna. It was very different in the way it functioned because it was a very static. Yeah, kind much of simpler than Luna. Yeah, in fact, they called them dummy displays or... Mm -hmm. Dummy plugs, ghost displays, There's ghost bunch displays, of bunch of different names for them, yeah. But that was really the um, core of the idea that okay, this problem had actually been solved in hardware, and that took us down the path of turning into a hardware company ourselves. Yeah, and I remember some users also. We had a community forum at the time, and I remember mm. some users too dabbling with this, and mm. also they were using a third-party tool, Switch Res X, to take these dummy displays and configure it so that it worked with Luna. And this was like a crazy complicated step process to do. Like, we weren't even aware of this. We were aware of the, as Giovanni talked about, we were aware of the dummy dongles and like experimenting with that. But in terms of like customizing the resolution to, to match the iPad, you know, some of our users are really taking this an, an extra step beyond what we considered. And so seeing that people were doing that too, it was like, wow, people really, really want this if they're going that far out of their way to make this work. Because this is a crazy like duct tape and duct tape up solution. That also kind of triggered like, okay, maybe there's really something here. Like maybe this is something people would be interested in. And I remember we also tried to use, you know, we looked at, okay, how would we use like an off the shelf? Like, do we tell our users to go buy one of these mm -hmm. dummy mm -hmm. displays and then we can configure it. But these things, as you said, are dummy. They're not configurable. They're like set to like a 1080p resolution. That's it. That's all you get. And we're even less than 1080p because they just wanted a display to show up. And we had specific characteristics, specific refresh rates and resolutions and different things to really make a good experience on the iPad. None of these things could do it. So I don't remember how it went from that though <laughs> to the leap to like, well, let's make our own that can yeah. do it. Yeah. Well, we saw potential in hardware, but we didn't yeah. know much about hardware. So never done hardware at this point. Yep. Never done. Didn't know really too much about it. I think what started really the us getting into more serious about it is I start talking about this problem with a friend of mine who had worked at Apple actually together with the two of us at some point, Matt. Yep. Yeah. So, we were interns all at the same time way back in the day. Ancient history now. That's right. But his name is Niels, Niels Madison, and he started a company himself in Sweden. He's Swedish originally. And he started a company in the home security space. And he had worked as a hardware engineer at Apple. So he's a you know fully-fledged electrical engineer. So I talked to him about the problem and I asked for his help to figure out how complicated such an undertaking would be. 
And he took some time. I think I sent him like a prototype of what was on the market already, these dummy displays. And I think he took it apart and tried to figure out the complexity. And he was the one that told me essentially, you know, the level of degree of complexity the project would take. And he proposed himself to help in helping us design this product. At the time, he seemed he had some extra engineering capacity himself in his company. So we started this working relationship, which really started and got us to the point of having a first prototype of the Luna, the Luna hardware. Fairly quickly, I think in three, four months, I want to say. Yeah, they were pretty quick because, I mean, they were a hardware startup, so they had the full team and capabilities to do hardware. They knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. We didn't. <laughs> yes. Hardware. That's so right. they, could, they could move quick on it. And yeah, they did move really quick. And I think having the relationship with them based a lot on trust and friendship was really instrumental because I think we were trying to figure things out together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, down the road of Luna, we, we had to rely a lot on other people's skills because we didn't have them ourselves. Which was definitely a new thing for us because we were used to operating in the software world where we generally, especially on the Mac and iPad, where we generally knew what we were doing or mm-hmm. to some degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the biggest maybe evolution of the whole project. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. You couldn't jump in and modify the PCB or the components on the, you know, the border board ourselves. We had to re- always rely on other people. Mm-hmm. Yep. Which is a good good skill to learn in general, but that's new. that's right. Yeah. Yeah, but in I remember in four four or five months after we started the project, both of us were in Sweden. Yeah, that was fun. The, yeah, the offices. And seeing the first prototypes. Yeah, we saw the first prototypes, which was super cool. They were working on that. The company too is Minute. They're around today. They're, and actually, even then, their main product is a, you know privacy conscious noise sensor for like Airbnbs, and it has more than just noise sensors on it. But I think that's what it's most popular for. But all sorts of sensors on it. So really, really cool, like home automation stuff. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we went there, checked it out, and this one thing I should say though that's important mm-hmm. about this is this was a mini display port unit. This only connected over mini display port because at the time, da, 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 which we'll get to in a bit, uh, mini display port was really the only connection that mattered on the Mac for doing displays. USB-C wasn't a thing yet. That's right. It was only on some like really, really early PC models. Apple had not released the USB-C computer yet. Yeah. Picking up a project and putting down a project. <laughs> Just shortly after we, we were meeting with our friend in Sweden, rumors came out that Apple would jump on the USB-C boat and essentially ditch every other port that they had on previous computers. So we found ourselves essentially with a, already a prototype that would be probably turning into, you know, a kind of a legacy device for a yeah, legacy obsolete, port. A proto- obsolete prototype. That's right. That's, a, that's the right word, obsolete. And, you know, as soon as we realized that, we also understood that it would not have been possible to launch an innovative product if we didn't support the yep. latest and greatest hardware. Yeah. And I remember we went back and forth a lot about this, with, mm-hmm. also with them, whether, you know, it made sense perhaps to just launch Mini Display first. You know, what was the minimal viable product for the Luna hardware? Was it just the Mini Display Port edition? And I remember talking to them about, because before this, we were planning a Kickstarter. We were gearing up to do a Kickstarter together. This was really going to be a joint project. Really us providing the software, them providing the hardware. 
and to really be a, a you know successful joint project. And then we hit this hurdle of USB-C, where you know we're debating, as you're saying, do we need USB-C? Do we need USB-C? And we're we're saying yes, yes, yes. But on the hardware side, it turns out that USB-C is a lot harder to do. And because it was so new, nobody really had experience with it. And in terms of components, there wasn't a lot of components either available yet. This was just totally new, you know, nothing, prices were high on components, they were hard to get because all of this was so new. So it was, I remember they were very hesitant to get into the USB-C space. Yep. It was just a huge risk for them. And it made, made a lot of sense. Absolutely. You know, and it wasn't it their core product. Yep. So we put the project on pause for a long time. We essentially canceled the collaboration with Minute. And we just, even us didn't know whether we would have continued. No. And it wasn't, it probably was, again, it passed probably nine months until we picked it up again. Yeah, and I remember, I think it was that WWC that year, Apple officially released the USB-C MacBook Pros, and that's what really, really put the put the stake in it at the time. Because mm. before that, everything was all speculation, and we're like, well, maybe this is a year out, you know? If we have a year, we can still release with just Mini DisplayPort, but if Apple comes out with a USB-C Mac today, we got to support it. And so I remember waiting to see, okay, what's going to happen? You know, is Apple, and then I remember they released the USB-C, and we're like, okay. Yep. I guess that's the end of the project for now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, then we forgot about Luna. We started, we were, in the time we were working on the Aspress Studio, and mm -hmm. I think we went back into into working on our core product, which at the time was just Astropad, and then it became Astropad Studio. And we, we you know, we, we liked the idea of Luna. We really wanted it to, to make it happen, but it wasn't the right time. No, it wasn't. I remember even before the USB thing, USB-C saga, we talked a lot about like, should we be pursuing this? This is so different mm -hmm. than what we currently do. Like we've never done hardware. We don't know anything about it. This is require like logistics and shipments and VAT tax and sales tax and e-commerce store and all these things. Manufacturing. Manufacturing. Oh yeah. How could I even forget <laughs> manufacturing? All these things we know nothing about. Yep. Does this really make sense for us to get into? And we went back and forth a lot on it. And I remember one thing that kept coming up was, well, even if standalone, it's not a great product by its, like nobody wants it as a product by itself, which turned out not to be the case. People love Luna <laughs> as its own product, mm -hmm. but it'll still be really, really good for Astropad because this is functionality people want. And That's right. we're going to be able to go toe to toe with whatever Wacom's doing. And this is a key feature of what Wacom Cintiqs can do for drawing, drawing mm -hmm. display for pen displays. We need to be able to have this functionality. So let's keep pursuing down that path. And if we can pull it off, you know, it'll be a major competitive advantage because who the heck else does hardware. And then also the interest in it too. Like, well, this, this is some new, some new skills to learn, even if it ultimately doesn't lead any way. Anywhere, we're learning a lot, having fun doing it. Mm -hmm. Well, at times fun, at times stressful, a little bit of both together. Yeah, but I think you, you bring up a really good point, which is the playfulness of the of when you enter a new space and, mm -hmm. and you commit into a project. I think for, for everything that we've getting into, that we've gotten into successfully, there was a very strong characteristic of experimentation. Yeah, definitely. And playfulness to it. Mm -hmm. Like for us, hardware was such a, an uncharted territory that while it was scary, it was also very 
intriguing and new mm -hmm. and so it was we were hungry for that challenge in some ways and mm -hmm. at times we were like what what did we get ourselves into <laughs> yeah maybe this wasn't a good idea <laughs> yeah 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 but there was there was always the kind of desire to explore a new territory yeah yeah definitely yeah that was the the drive that i think kept it going forward because there's a lot of times it was like we should just cancel this this is a distraction we shouldn't do this no oh, yes yeah, so many times and, yeah. and so many times it'd be we'd run into hurl and it'd be like no this, this is just another sign we shouldn't do this and just tons of up and downs like that you know mm -hmm. oh my gosh now apple you know apple hasn't introduced a new port in years and all of a sudden there's a new port we need to support oh man is this another sign we shouldn't do this <laughs> so many times as you said then left it yep. didn't come back to it for months and months and months he's definitely not a up and to the right experience not a stepwise kind of thing yep definitely a lot of peaks and valleys and i remember just even when we started seeing the the product through even before we launched the kickstarter we had conversation and doubts of whether we wanted to target luna just for astropad customers mm, or we wanted this. to expand it to reach to you know anybody that wants to use their ipad as a second display can benefit from it mm -hmm. but it was far from clear and even within the company i remember some members of our team just really being skeptical that that we could sell Luna as a standalone product. Mm -hmm. And at a much higher price. I mean, we weren't sure of that either, but it was going to be much higher price than a typical software because it had physical components. It had to be shipped. It had to be manufactured. Mm -hmm. It had to be totally different economics around it than digital software. So I was like, are people going to buy it? Yep. No. So it's, in retrospect, uh, there was a lot of, lot of doubt, insecurity about it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and as we're talking about this, I'm thinking a lot of this was the same for when we were originally doing Astropad as well, too. There was a lot of doubt. Is anybody going to use this? Mm -hmm. Is it going to work well enough? I'm trying to remember what other. But it, that was also another thing that was not yeah. a just, you know, linear process, always improving. It was a lot of up and downs. It was a lot of maybe we, maybe we shouldn't do this. But at the end of the day, we were, as you said, there was a playfulness with it. We were inter really interested in it. And we we're like, well, uh you know, if nobody buys it, it'll still be a, you know, example of the kind of cool stuff we can build. Yeah, it's true. It's true. It's like most of the days you're having fun doing it, then there's still probably some value to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I do remember a ton with Luna though, talking about like, yeah, should we, should we be doing this? I mm -hmm. mean, what do you remember from that? What do you remember why we didn't cancel it? I think the way also we, we kept it going was so... To go back to the history of Luna, once once the project would cancel in the summer with our friends in Sweden, then for nine months really was we basically got the resources and the assets from from the Swedish company, but we didn't really do much. And then we hired a, on a consulting company, Precotronics, mm -hmm. that helped mm -hmm. us pick up the USB C project, and we established a very different relationship. This was a consultancy shop whose purpose was uh, essentially helping other companies like us to bring up their, their harder dream to the world. Mm -hmm. And it was the effort that we went through with them was very external in some ways to our main company. At the time, I think we were six people or six or seven people in the- Yeah, sounds about right. And we we're focusing on you know the drawing experience on the iPad with the product AstroPad and AstroPad Studio. And the Luna effort is sort of happening on this in this other kind of room in the house that is very separate from, from our core business. It's sort of an experiment happening behind the scenes. I don't think at the time we would even like 
talk too much or give like status updates on how no. things were going. No, I don't think the team heard too much about it. It was like a background thing because they were really working on USB-C. And for a month, we didn't know whether we could even pull it off on USB-C because it was so new that even mm -hmm. I remember to get the chipset to, to talk USB-C, essentially the microprocessor to talk to USB-C port. I remember we got some early, early samples from some Cypress and we had only like a handful available. And I remember too, the contractor we were working with, they specialized in USB in general and USB-C was so new, they had no experience with it. Mm -hmm. So this was totally, I mean, that's part of why they were interested in the project as well too, because this was a great way for them to get experience on USB-C, but there was so much uncharted territory here. Yep. So yeah, we kept it in the background, like you're saying. It wasn't like a main focus. And I think, if I remember right, I think it was six months, more or less, until we, we could actually see, you know, after collaborating for six months with this consultancy company, they gave us a prototype that would show actually some promising results that would give us the confidence that we could actually do USB-C Luna. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And one thing I remember, too, that also carried us through with this is that we did put some together, like hooked up some software with the, like a software prototype to go with these early hardware prototypes. And what we saw was awesome. Like we, were, we were really blown away by the result. So we're like, oh, wow, if we can get this all to work, this is really, really good. And then I remember into the USB process, USB-C process, we're like, wow, the USB-C is even better suited to what we want to do the mini mm -hmm. display port, the product can be even better. And it was even more enticing. It was like, wow, okay, if we can see this through, we think this can be a really, really good product. It's just a matter of, is it, can we actually see it through? Can we actually manufacture something? Yep. Can we build it? But the prototypes, I remember, was outstanding. It was like really... Yeah, it was really promising, exciting. Yeah, really close. Yeah, removed a lot of the doubt we had. Mm. Yep, yeah. Another takeaway, though, as we were talking, is, is really like the unpredictable nature of progress through mm -hmm. the development of a, of a project, you really go from, okay, we're never being able to pull this off. This is just too hard to, wow, this is really exciting. Let's do it. No, this is going to be too hard. We had an accountant for this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's far from a linear process and the progress is far from linear too, in a way where, yeah, you could have like interjected conversation between the two of us in within those six month period where we either thought it was like, Greatest thing ever. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. Or the worst. We should totally cancel it. This is a waste yep, of time. This is, yeah, just a waste of everybody's time. Why did we ever do this? Mm -hmm. Nobody's ever going to buy this. This is dumb. This is the greatest thing since sliced bread. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I think that the tendency of canceling thing too, there's like a voice that sometimes comes in. is like, okay, this is all bad. Let's just cancel it. Let's yeah. move on. And we found this voice to be there over and over and over again in different projects where, I mean, even just two weeks ago, I think we were talking about <laughs> where a new idea that I was yeah, pitching yeah, to yeah. you and I was like, okay, let's just cancel this. Like, I, yeah, it's just not worth it. And then, you know, you pulling me out from it. Yeah, that, that's very true. Because, well, we can't reveal yet, but some new stuff in the works. And yeah, you just, there were being a setback and you were just like one too many setbacks in a row. Yeah, and you were like, yeah, I don't, I don't know this makes sense anymore. I, I remember the same dynamic happening too during other projects too. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, wait, we've gotten this far. This is really cool. Why, why are we going to stop now? And you're like, oh. <laughs> or it might be me. Like I remember in early days of AstroPad, 
at that particular week, I hated how the Mac UI looked for whatever reason. I don't know what happened. Don't ask me. Mm-hmm. I was like, it's all terrible. We need to burn it all down. Yeah, start it was over. Like two weeks before launch. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, you're like, Matt, what are you talking about? This is great. What are you talking about? I'm like, yeah. okay, okay, fine, 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 fine. You talk me off the ledge, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Sometimes the details that you get fixated on also yeah. like, make it really hard to, to see the overall progress that you're making. Yeah, yeah, it's it is definitely hard when you're when you're that close to what you're working on to see it and obsess over details that maybe in the big scheme of things don't matter or won't make or break the successful launch of it. Definitely something we've come back to time and time again. And again, it goes back to the messy the messy side of just going from, you know, just an idea to actually executing on a product and bringing it to the to reality. Yeah, yeah. And then once you get further along and you're, you know, committed to it and you've kind of flushed out the risks of it, you know, what's going to be hard and what's not, you know, then it can become more of a, once you're past the prototype stage, more of a linear process, more of a like, okay, let's put blood, sweat and tears in to do ship it. But before that, it's so stop and go, mm-hmm. at least for us. And I, I have to imagine for most people making something new, it's like that. Yeah, which which brings up the point of, you know, if you stop doing it, what do you do with the, you know, after that? <laughs> it's good to have something to fall back to. For Astroped, I think while we were working on Astroped, we had a consultancy business on the side. Mm-hmm. So we would go back to our clients. And for for Luna, well, we had Astroped, Astroped Studio, they were our our core our core business. And so that that's what we went back to. But I still feel like it's, it's very important not to put all your eggs in, in the basket of the new product route because most often the pressure to be successful might spoil the progress or the leap of faith that you need to take into exploring a new product. It's so hard to work on, on brand new things that the lack of just direction and purpose can be very overwhelming if you're expecting results in a very quickly manner. And I personally find it that it's it's important to have a backup plan that is solid to fall back into when when your energies are just run out. Yeah, and to cook up some new ideas mm-hmm. to bring back to it. You know, many times for even projects we're working on now, the technology around changes, the ecosystem around That's changes true. may make it more viable. That's true. I know I'm being very very abstract here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> But yeah, things things change and you're like, wow, okay, before we couldn't do this, but now material costs have come down. Maybe in terms of software, it's there's a new third-party API you can use. Mm-hmm. There's a new, you know, like I'm thinking on the software side, there's the GPT-3 stuff where they're doing all sorts of AI stuff. Like that's opened up all sorts of new possibilities. And five years ago, you might have had all sorts of crazy ideas that weren't possible that now today are possible. And you just got to go back to that same idea and revisit it with whatever today's technology is, whatever you can do with today's stuff. In the case of hardware, whatever chipsets or materials it is, batteries, what does it unlock? You know, mm-hmm. what can you, I don't know, that, that's part of the fun part about the hardware stuff too, is just keeping an eye on what's what's coming out of the supply chain, what's cheap, what's available, what are the new things coming up? Yeah. So for, you know, what kind of, I think we should find some recommendations to wrap up the conversation today and, and see if we can find some recommendation for our audience to yeah. give a suggestion on how to get started on working on ideas and products. That's good advice. Well, where would you start, Giovanni? What would be your recommendations for dealing with the messy beginnings of a new product? Yeah, I think the emphasizing the, the playfulness of the process 
Mm-hmm. Make sure that whatever you're doing, experimentation and fun are a big component of it. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, worst case scenario, you had a good time and you've learned mm-hmm. a lot doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely the on and off nature of it too, where don't expect it to go up and to the right in a linear fashion. And mm-hmm. one step after another is going to, that there's going to be a lot of setbacks. There's going to be a lot of up and downs. You're going to start and stop. You're going to hate it. You're going to love it. There's going to be a lot of extremes in general. Mm-hmm. And that is probably pretty normal. Yeah, those are just too great. Yeah, I think to know these things, I think it, it will really help give you the confidence to go forward yeah. and making progress. Yeah. yeah, and know like what you're experiencing, what you're feeling is not unique. And what previously, you know, today seems like a brilliant idea. Probably when that person was working on it, they were probably like, this is dumb. I shouldn't be spending mm-hmm. time on it, right? They had those moments. I'm sure they did. <laughs> just as you said, have another one is have something to fall back on what we were talking about, where mm-hmm. you're not feeling it. The energy is not there. The technology isn't, isn't ready, right? It needs more time. Something else to fall back, something else to work on, something else to recharge you. And so you come back with fresh ideas, fresh energy as well. Yeah, I reframed the idea of, I think, of failure, because I think that's been also pretty, pretty hard for me is, you know, new ideas are very fragile. They're really like, they're really tender. They're, they're half-baked. And when you, you know, when you introduce them to other people, you, you're going to get all sort of feedback. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, might not be that supportive. <laughs> yeah. There's a sense of bravery that I think it needs, yeah. needs to be developed. Uh-huh. Yeah, for you to feel good about still your days in which you're exploring and, and trying to come up with new ideas. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Well, yeah, I think that just about does it. Thanks again for coming on, Giovanni, talking about product ideas. Anytime, anytime. Yeah, for those of you listening, check us out, astropad.com slash podcast. Please send me questions, feedback, mad at astropad.com. And if you like what you're listening to, please rate us. It does help a lot on iTunes. Thank you. Take care now. <laughs>